Welcome to this episode of the Bible Readers Podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing the fall of man and the original sin of Adam and Eve. If you didn't catch last week's episode discussing the creation story, go ahead and give that a listen as well. We are in Genesis chapter 3 if you're following along at home. Thanks for reading the Bible with us. It's so great to have you along with us on this journey through Scripture. Hi, thanks for joining us on this episode of the Bible Readers Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Hartley. I'm a Roman Catholic convert who has devoted my life to studying and teaching the Bible, and I want to help you to read the Bible for yourself today. So why is there so much evil in the world around us? Why is the heart of mankind so enslaved to sin when man was created in a state of essential original goodness? That is the crux of the Genesis 3 narrative. I encourage you, as you're reading the Bible with us, to ask yourself how the text answers those questions. So let's go ahead and take a look at the third chapter of Genesis together. But before we do that, let's do a little bit of recap. Last week, we discussed how the world and everything in it came to be. We saw two different but parallel creation stories. In Genesis chapter 1, our first main character is introduced, God. And what do we learn about this God? Well, we learn that the first thing is that there's only one God, which is a radical concept within ancient theology. And this one God is the creator of everything that is. In fact, he creates merely by his word. We saw in Genesis Uh, this very deliberate structure from the author as he builds creation in six days. And the days correspond to the problem that's introduced in the first verse of the book. The world is formless and void. The first three days of creation solve the first problem. God gives the world shape. He creates light and darkness, the sky and the sea and the dry land. In the subsequent three days, God solves the second problem. He fills the sky with the sun, moon, and stars. He fills the air with birds and the sea with fish. And then he fills the dry land with animals. And finally, above all these things, he creates man and woman whom he sets above all of creation. Next, we read another creation story in Genesis chapter 2, where God creates the Garden of Eden and places the man and woman there as the keepers of the garden and the guardians of these two sacred trees. The tree of life, symbolizing the holy and divine nature of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which symbolizes the natural limitation of man as he is not the definer of morality. The amazing thing that we see in this chapter is also the priestly role of mankind in the garden. The garden is a place where God communes with man. We see this in the rest that God takes on the seventh day of creation in chapter one, the number of creation, seven. There is harmony, peace, and rest in the garden that God has created as a temple for his people, and Adam's role is to till and to keep the garden as God's priest. In these first chapters, we've been introduced to God, to Adam, to Eve, I guess to creation, But in Genesis chapter 3, we're introduced to a new character, the serpent. Now, let's discuss the symbol here. Why the serpent? Well, I think this gets at a fairly natural and common human aversion to snakes. We don't like them. 
But I think it goes deeper as well. Out of the mouth of the serpent comes lies, just like venom. And those venomous lies are going to poison the minds of Adam and Eve, and they're going to infect the holy people that God has created. So let's hop in and let's compare. We'll take a look uh, at what the serpent says to Eve and compare that to what God has said to Adam. And we'll read here. The serpent says, Did God say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? God's command, if you remember, is you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Notice how the serpent leaves out the first part. He only emphasizes the negative part of the command instead of focusing on the immense blessing of God. The serpent only focuses on the one thing that Adam and Eve can't have, fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Next, the serpent tells Eve, you will not die when you eat of it, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, and he ate. Why does Eve eat the fruit? What is it about the serpent's temptation that guiles her? I think it's the prospect of being like God. That's what the serpent says. And I think there's a tragic irony in this. Remember how man is created? In the image of God. So when Eve takes the fruit and then Adam, which we'll get to that bit in a moment, they do it because they want to become like God. But the irony is they already are. They are made in God's image as, he's, as his children. They are created to be like God, except that they are not the masters of divine law. And when they, and they want that and they seek to take it. And now the serpent's not wholly lying here uh, because any, any good lie has truth interwoven into it. A spoonful of truth helps the lie go down, but instead something else dies. The eyes of both were open, the text says, and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. What is it that dies? Their innocence. Remember that earlier the text says that Adam and Eve are naked and unafraid. They have uh, no shame or guilt, nothing to cover. But immediately following their sin, they have a need to cover themselves. They're ashamed. Where was Adam the whole time? Remember the charge given to Adam in chapter 2? To till and keep the garden? In last week's episode, we discussed how those verbs could also be translated uh, to as the, the verbs to till and to keep. We said they can also be translated as to guard and serve. And it's actually the same charge that will be given to the Levitical priests who serve in the temple in Jerusalem. And it's one of the ways that we see Adam's role as a priest in the temple of the Garden of Eden. Has Adam fulfilled his charge? Has he guarded and served God and his spouse in the Garden of Eden? 
Is this sin merely the fault of Eve? She's the one who took it. She's the one who gives it to Adam. I think it's pretty clear, of course not. Adam is there, the text says, standing with her, and he is silent. This tragic silence from Adam, the guardian in the garden. And their eyes were open. They now have knowledge not just of good, but of evil. Real knowledge, experiential knowledge. This is the difference between knowing that the stove is hot because you see the light on, and knowing the stove is hot because you grabbed it and you have a third degree burn on your hand. They see that they are naked and they are ashamed. And their next impulse is to hide. The text says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? I want to pause there. There's something really fascinating to me about the questions that God asks Adam and Eve here. He's God, so he knows all things. So why does he even bother to ask the question, where are you? I think he's giving them an opportunity to confess and repent. So, do Adam and Eve take this opportunity? No. They start to point fingers immediately. Adam's excuse to me is particularly interesting. Uh, We'll read here. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. It may seem like Adam is blaming Eve, and that's certainly happening, but it's not the whole story. What does it say? The woman whom you gave to me. Adam is blaming God for his sin. This is the opposite of confession. And the woman blames the serpent. Neither Adam nor Eve respond to God's question with repentance. And immediately the harmony that was present at the beginning of creation is lost. And the fundamental problem that has occurred is that Adam and Eve are no longer holy people, which means they must be expelled from the Holy Land, the temple of the Garden of Eden, where God has communion with man. And then the curses. Eve is cursed with pain in childbirth, and Adam is cursed with hard labor. The ground will not yield to him as before. And what's the purpose of these curses? The processes of bringing forth life and sustaining life in the world will now be shrouded with pain and death. Whereas what existed before the fall was perfect harmony between God and man, there now exists a gulf between God and man. Adam and Eve have distanced themselves from the giver of life, and now they will be bereft of life. And as they try to bring forth life and sustain life after the fall, they will continually come into contact with death. This is where the Bible deeply and profoundly ponders the nature of sin, suffering, and death. 
It holds these two seemingly incompatible truths together that man is both made in the image of God and yet brings about great evil in the world because of his sin. But we are not left totally bereft of hope. Hidden in the curse to the serpent in Genesis 3.15 is a passage that's sometimes called the Proto-Evangelium, which is a Latin term meaning the first gospel. And it says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. From the seed of Eve, shall come one who will be wounded by the serpent, but he will in the end crush the serpent. Even now, the text looks ahead to how this curse will be lifted from man and man will be saved from sin. Of course, this is looking ahead to Jesus. And it's amazing to me that in the very first chapter of the Bible, the very first chapters of the Bible, we're looking ahead to the end of the whole book, an end that will take place thousands of years in the future from where we are right now in the text. But yet, the author of Genesis, because he's inspired by God to write this story, is looking ahead to the future. If you're interested in learning more about this story, please visit our website at BibleReadersPodcast.com. There will be a wealth of resources there, as well as show notes for you to access. Next week, we will be discussing Cain and Abel and the genealogies in Genesis 4 and 5. Don't skip the genealogies. We're going to unpack those a bunch. Uh, It's more than just names that are hard to, to pronounce. There's a lot of really good stuff in there. So if you're reading along, be sure to read Genesis 4 and 5 before next week. If you enjoyed this episode, I ask that you kindly subscribe and rate us on whatever podcast app you use. It greatly helps get our content out to others. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Bible Readers Podcast. We will see you next week.